beautiful souls, it's Julie Jancis here. I've been getting a lot of questions about the services that I offer, so I just want to run through this real quick. I offer one-on-one readings by phone, Skype, and in person in Wheaton and Naperville, Illinois. I also offer Reiki training and my own angel school where you can learn how to communicate with your angels. Another thing that I do is I offer a lot of speaking engagements. I do a lot of speaking engagements. If you'd like me to come speak at your church or in your community, please get in touch. You can learn about all of this on my website at www.jancis.com. That's J-A-N-C-I-U-S dot com. You're listening to Angels and Awakening, where we believe daily life can be lived from a constant state of love, joy, peace, bliss, ease, and grace. Why are people always searching for a better way to live? Because there is one. Life doesn't have to be stress-filled and anxiety-ridden. You can make lasting changes that lead to a life you love. My name's Julie Jancis. I have the gift of connecting with angels and bringing through their healing, positive messages to my clients every day. Join us on the Angels and Awakening podcast each week as we explore big spiritual questions, interview experts, and bring through angel messages. I'm so excited you're here. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Angels and Awakening podcast. You're going to be so excited that you listen to this show because we have on Richard Rudis. And I know if you're in Chicagoland, you've definitely heard of him. He is considered the most knowledgeable in the field of sacred sound healing. He is a Tibetan Buddhist Um, He's toured the Western United States presenting sacred sound concerts. He calls them gong baths. Each experience is unique and rooted in Dharmic teachings. Um, Richard, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you. Today we are talking about sacred sound healing. And really, I want to start off by talking about vibration as medicine. Can you talk to us a little bit about that, your work, and, um, and what you do? Of course. Sacred sound is based on the concept that we are in keeping with a pristine vibrational intrinsic cord of, that runs through the universe and, and us as a part of the universe. So the cord, when we're out of sync or accordance with that silver thread, uh, silver um, vibration, then we are subject to a discordance or illness that is uh, can be manifest either mentally or or physically or or spiritually. So what the vibrational healing does, and what um, specifically sacred sound healing, which is a very specific aspect of sound um, does is bring us into accordance or nudges us back into our intrinsic healthy equilibrium. That makes sense. Now I'm wondering when you're doing this, are the sounds kind of coming um, intuitively to you that you're presenting or 
are you saying, are you working one-on-one with people and saying, okay, this is the vibration of anxiety. This is the vibration of stress. And this is the vibration of ease. So since this person is stressed out, we're going to use this vibration to get them into ease. Yeah. I, uh, I take a very holistic approach. I, first of all, I don't do one-on-ones and not anymore. I, I find that uh, working with a group ex- it expands my, the, the influence of the, the, of the uh, healing process. So I, in other words, I can work with 300 people a, as easily as I could one or, or three people. Um, so that's, so I'm, that's, with that said, I approach it in a holistic way. Uh, Sacred Sound has the ability of meeting people right where they happen to be. So you, whether you're, you know, if you're one person in a group of 300, it's going to be a very personal experience for you, very unique experience for you, because it is uh, addressing your your issues. But you might think of the sound as um, in holistic in the way a way of um, uh, Eastern healing. The Western healing model um, is very effective, of course, but it's it tends to separate um, things such such as stress out and deal with the symptoms rather than the cause. Um, the way I approach working with the sacred sound, I I deal with the the whole spectrum of of healing. So as a result, the stress will dissolve, but whatever the supporting data behind it or supporting causes uh, will also melt away. The um, so that that's that part of the question. As far as my approach, I work with um, because I'm a, a Tibetan Buddhist. I work within the what I understand of the Tibetan Buddhist healing model, um, which is in, in, within the, the scope of sacred sound. They, they use other remedies as well or other uh, uh, therapies as well. But my focus is purely on sacred sound. And <clears throat> sacred sound being a um, polytonal have a polytonal range to it in the sense that it's it has a uh, multiple voices over a, a palette or a spectrum of of um, sound color physical responses in my I start with for instance the first 20 minutes in a mind training strata of sound so that the the, the mind is brought into a receptive, sanctuary, safe place where healing then can be um, addressed in a less evasive way. Uh, and then I'll move through, uh, depending on the, the theme of the particular concert or experience that, uh, that I'm presenting, I will move through various sacred geometries, tonal um, signatures of various chakra points, um, rhythms that are akin to things that we are, uh, we find receptive, such as the Fibonacci sequence, which reflects the geometry of the universe as well as our own bodies. 
the uh, respiration rate, the heartbeat, uh, even even in some cases the the um, the synopsis of a of a particular of particular thoughts or or how we might be distracted in some way. So the uh, so that's my approach um, at that level, at an intellectual and engineering level. But at a philosophical level, I try to stay, or a more metaphysical level, I try to stay attuned to the energy in the room and modify as I go the instruments. The instruments in sacred sound are very responsive to uh, the individual or the group, and um, in in giving me feedback at all times. So the instrument, for instance, may I may want to go in a particular direction with a particular geometry, and I can the, the instrument will be telling me whether that is um, is going to be receptive or discordant to the group as a whole, and I have to be sensitive to that. And so sometimes I follow the instrument and it's um, and down the road that it's that it's leading me in. Uh, within the scope of my understanding, the, the as I said before, sacred geometry, rhythms, and, and, and the like. Um, or sometimes I, I lead, so it's a it's a very much a dance between the recipient, the instrument, and and myself. Yes, that's that's phenomenal. Um, and I know that when I've gone through um, a sacred sound healing before, what's interesting is that people have really different experiences with this, right? So, oh yeah. So for me, when I go through this, I start immediately, it's almost like I'm teleported somewhere and I'm having all of these visions, different things coming to me, a lot of past life stuff coming up and moving through it. Can you talk to me a little bit about that and the experiences that people have? Of course. Uh, Past life, for instance, this tour, I'm in Colorado right now, and in this tour, I'm focusing the first three um, experiences based on what is called the governing vessel. The governing vessel is a um, energetic point in our body used by, for those acupuncturists among you, um, will, will certainly understand. And that is a point where in, in the subconscious mind where data is collected um, and past life data is also collected. So uh, things like traumas, past life traumas, um, uh, challenges on a physical, emotional, or spiritual level uh, are stored within the subconscious governing vessel. And that, that ends up creating sort of a soundscape of experience that's in the background of our lives. And accounts for those those read those uh, opportunities or those times when we end up um, uh, you know doing things in our lives that we said that we would never do again, or we find ourselves in the same position um, in a in a relationship that we had left the, the previous relationship from, or we continuously turn towards something that we realize that we know at some level is not good for us and we 
awaken to that over and over and over again within the course of a lifetime. Um, that's um, a lot of that energy or a lot of that supportive data uh, or reasoning is found in the governing vessel. And the governing vessel, I key to the first three chakra points, um, which has a lot to do with our physicality and our creative creativity, our sexuality, our um, fear-based or flight um, response. It is a lot of power and a lot of um, a lot to tap into that should be tapped into. We have to look at our body as a whole and not as uh, segments. Uh, so the first three of this tour is based on awakening, stimulating, bringing to the conscious mind the subconscious tapes that are being played out in our background lives. The fourth chakra here is, uh, I mean, the fourth chakra everywhere, of course, is, is the heart chakra, which is the, the storehouse of Buddha and compassion, or Bodhi compassion. You might think of it as love, compassion, and wisdom, um, that, those, those type of qualities. And so that, that, that I use as a respite between the governing and the next step, which is the conceptual conceptual energy point uh, empowers us to recognize and and change the course of our uh, roots life um, assuming that that's what we're involved in so that that is um, uh, up and that would take us from the you know from the throat the third eye and I incorporate the soma chakra which is the union of the male and female energies and the in uh, the crown chakra. So by empowering the the unconscious uh, to reveal to the conscious mind, then I can uh, empower healing overall healing state um, within within a a series of of gong baths. Um, the stories, as far as um, healing stories they're they're wide and and diversified um the mostly when i play to the chakras or always when i play to the chakras really the individuals that are involved will whether they're aware of that chakra uh, what my is or not even though i posted <laughs> a lot of people just come because i'm there and not necessarily about what I'm doing um, I mean within the theme the uh, the I always I, without a doubt if I play to the root chakra then it's the root chakra that is being activated and the stories that come forward are are within the, the scope of the root chakra um, so for instance I I I have CDs that I have uh, created as a as a reminder of the original experience. I think the CDs being technologically limited, uh, even though uh, we put a lot of attention into making them as as clear and as accurate as possible, the technology really isn't quite there to reproduce a live performance. So the uh, so. Once you've experienced a live performance, there's something called cellular memory that will then you can uh, access 
the performance once again within the reminding qualities of the of the CD. I say all that to tell you this, this story. A, a woman um, bought one of after one of my concerts bought a CD called Termayana, which uh, she brought home and played in the background 24 hours a day. She had a home office and she would play it um, low, low and just in sort of a, as a ground stay of existence in within the household. And after about a, a week of that, she found that the, um, uh, the level of stress in the overall home was, was reduced. Um, the levels of compassion towards one another was increased. Her, um, she, she told some pretty funny stories that her, her teenage son, for instance, uh, suddenly decided that he was, he really had to clean up his room and make it uh, suitable for human occupancy. Um, her husband was, uh, oh, I don't know, he was uh, apparently threatening to clean the garage up for the last five years, something that she really wanted to happen. Uh, suddenly, he one weekend, he decided that he was going to do that. He was going to clean out the garage. And even beyond that, um, beyond, beyond the workings of the household, she said uh, even the neighborhood ch changed. She could see how people were more friendly to one another. And um, apparently, she had a neighbor who had old refrigerators and washing machines in the backyard. It was a pretty much of an eyesore. And he, you know, that, that same weekend with her, uh, had decided that he was going to clean up his yard and get rid of all that garbage. And, um, and she contributed it all to the background vibration of sacred sound, even in a low drone-like uh, quality of being just on the edge of consciousness. Within her home, it moved out through the entire neighborhood. Mm, I feel that. Well, and that was one of my questions. So if somebody wants to incorporate this into their daily routine it's not really suitable just to pick up a cd it's more suitable to have the experience and how often do you have to have the experience to keep the physical benefits because the other thing that i wanted to talk about was the research that you've done on on blood after people have come to see you um, you've done research before on the health of the blood and then after um, the health of the blood in their veins and the blood actually changes through this experience of a gong bath and um, and I should mention too for people who are like well what is a gong bath what are you really talking about um, you come in and do people lay on yoga mats or bring blankets and and pillows because that's the way that I've done it before and then um, you'd be set up with all of your instruments and you'd perform this concert of really sound healing to everybody who's um, laying still there and the vibrations just wash over you in this amazing way that brings out emotion um, and as as Richard kindly told us before just have all of this wealth of benefits that that help us release yeah the um First of all, the CDs are beneficial, but they're more directly beneficial or more uh, immediately beneficial if you, if they are based in cellular memory. 
However, just because of the limitations of the of the uh, electronic recreation of of the performance uh, of sacred sound onto a disc or, or whatever medium you're using, the uh, there's something lost every time we electronically move something from um, from a vibrations in space, you know, waves in space, essentially to to a, um, a a medium of a reproduction. With that said, that if you if a, a, a gong bath was not um, in your in your future or immediately possible for you, uh, a CD would be an, a nice substitute and would be effective uh, eventually. The um, the blood work, as far as and also, you have to imagine that this is a sacred sound as a as an expression of of physical, emotional, and, and spiritual healing is uh, is much more than just a quality instrument or a um, or or years of, of, of study or, or some sort of skill accomplishment. It's really a combination of, of the, the instrument, of course, the energy um, of, of the individual and the people in, involved. It's very much co-productive. The techniques, the patterns, the understanding of sacred geometry, um, the, you know, the physical interaction. Um, there's there's a lot of um, philosophical and, and scientific foundations that go into sacred sound. Um, and so what is, a, a, what is sometimes a problem is, uh, or something of a problem, is that people with, with all the great best intentions and uh, feel as though they uh, with with a very clear intention, uh, can approach uh, an instrument that uh, may be of uh, polytonal qualities. Uh, something that, uh, for instance, the earth gong I use has the capacity or a palette of of sound that reaches over 31 different octaves. Um, but it essentially looks like a gong, and so someone might just go out and buy a gong that is that they can afford or that is given to them or they they have a nice experience with uh, that is not the level of quality necessary or uh, most effective for sound healing. Uh, and they have a good heart and an in, in intention and they may have been in the healing field for, uh, for a long time. And now they have a gong and they make it part of their practice. That does not make a sacred sound gong um, healing practitioner. It, it, it makes someone with a big heart using a gong. Uh, the two things are not necessarily the same. I found that out early on. I started uh, my first public performance, I think was in 96 um, or 98 perhaps. And the, I, I after uh, I dubbed the name Gong Bath, um, not because it was something that I particularly liked, but because some of my sponsors felt it was short and easy to remember and catchy. 
Um, I had another name for it altogether, which was much more technical and possibly more boring. So anyway, we went we went, went with the gong bath. And after a few years of, of practice, I mean, working out in the public, people would start, I noticed that people would come up to me and say, oh, I, I went to a, a sacred sound gong bath um, and I got sick. Or I went to a gong bath that uh, left me um, feeling uneasy or queasy or disoriented and and um, uh, and I would say, oh, well, where, where, what gong bath did you go to? Where, where did you see me? Oh, it wasn't with you. It was with so and so, or it was with somebody else. And um, in, inevitably, I found that when people think of a gong bath, they think of the the experience they have, and not necessarily a gong bath that was conducted by myself mm-hmm. so what i did in i think 2002 was trademark the term gong bath in the united states so just to separate what i do from other people's work so that if someone went to a gong bath in the united states they would know that 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 would, was my gong bath and not and not somebody else's now it's not to say that there aren't other people out there with gongs that are doing brilliant work. I'm sure there is. There's, I know there is. Um, but I wanted to just separate what I did out from what was becoming a very popular, um, unregulated uh, approach to healing. Well, and I understand that very much because you've spent over 30 years um, going to Asia, studying in Asia. And can you tell us a little bit about that? Because you have so much experience and you've really put in your time studying in Asia to really learn this craft and to really make sure that that you're really bringing forth as much healing as possible. And so maybe you can share more about about your studies over there. Sure. Well, the studies also were, of course, in Nepal and Tibet and um, and, uh, somewhat in in India, northern India and Dharamsala. But it's, um, the, the study was more is, I have an engineering background, so my approach has always been from the scientific model. And my approach to sacred sound, although originated in in the instruments from the Tibetan Buddhist pantheon or philosophical architecture, um, it was really aside from what I was doing in in Asia, which was to uh, further my understandings of ultimately Tibetan Buddhism. At first it was just Eastern philosophy and, and ultimately then I lit on or I finally came to understand that the that it was Tibetan Buddhism that best reflects it was a, a healing process for me. I had a spiritual crisis at the time. So my through my studies of Tibetan Buddhism in uh, within Tibet and Nepal and India, 
uh, I was exposed to also the bone tradition, which was the uh, more shamanic Buddhist tradition of, of Tibet. And I, many of the uh, teachings incorporated these very specific instruments that uh, were used to alter consciousness, to enhance meditation, to to uh, create a a safe place, both psychically and and physically, to uh, to open ourselves up to greater understandings of self and therefore the universe. Um, and I was essentially fascinated by these instruments that were used for for that that type of healing. Um, and my studies began in Buddhism and sacred sound aspect of of that tradition uh, was was sort of a side in that it was a, a great interest of the old overall whole. Now I had a couple Dharma shops at the time in Connecticut, and I was uh, able to explore sacred sound with other sound healing pioneers here in the states that were um, one person was very shamanic, for instance, in his approach, and he he did a, a studies in Asia as well as 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 um, the text here in this in these states as I did, and another person was. Um, He's sort of a musician's musician. He was entirely scientific in his approach and couched every all the teachings that uh, was being presented within sacred sound out of context of Buddhist tradition, but in in the uh, in the same bed with the scientific approach to to um, music. So um, what? Would, so there was a collaboration, an early on collaboration among several people, um, pioneers, if you will, in the Western understanding and architecture, the, what, the, what we essentially refer to now as, as sacred sound healing, was being explored, developed, expanded upon, experimented with, um, by a, a very tight group of people, of which I was a part of. So it was very much, it wasn't all me, me, me here. It was, you know, it's a, a collaboration of, of multiple people um, that are still working in the field, um, of course. And the, so, but my focus was always on the, the Buddhist approach. Um, so I mean, it's the, if people ask me to teach sacred sound, and I, I teach a lot of the techniques. And there's a school that I'm a part of in, in MCMEs called the Tibetan Bull School that uh, we teach how to use the Tibetan bowls in a very specific system for healing. Um, we there's um, I'm, I'm part of I'm a part of a, a couple different healing studios and, and schools or, or educational foundations that are that are specifically interested in the gong for instance or specifically interested in just the Tibetan approach um, the but and but when people ask me to teach them I what I know I can only expose them to you know sort of their practical aspects um, otherwise I they what they would like to do is to do what I have done, which is 
which I don't know would be ideal for for them or not, but it it's in a it's in a result of, as you say, thirty years of study. So it's a little hard to you know it, really people can't do what I did unless they start young and and have um, spectacular teachers like I have or be lucky enough to to find them and along the way. Um, so all I can do is kind of condense what I what I know into uh, into a context that is accessible to folks. Um, but yeah, my I've I've been to Tibet. I, I don't know, perhaps I, I don't know, twelve, fourteen times. I've been to Nepal much much more than that. I've only uh, experienced Indian Western. Um, uh, you know, the uh, in the northern part of India, uh, in Dharamsala, the the enclave of the Dalai Lama's government in, in exile uh, once, and that was because I was I was called to be there. I was told that I was supposed to be there by one of my teachers. So I love this. So. We're talking about your experience in Tibet, your experience in Asia, and I'm just wondering, there's probably so much, right? We could sit here and talk for days, but for those of us listening out there, what are just some of the most amazing takeaways that you've had from your travels, from your studies in Asia, from learning this beautiful, beautiful way of life? You know, they're, they're, to travel with with mindful intention um, anywhere, I would imagine, but specifically in a very ancient society with uh, clearly defined spiritual approaches to or spiritual philosophy uh, makes almost uh, you know almost every breath of prayer every. Uh, experience spiritually charged. The people, for one, are are amazingly under the under the thumb of a totalitarian government. They are uh, that is intent on genocide. They have maintained an integrity and a and a, a, a idea or a concept of self. That is uh, extraordinary under, under the conditions they're 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 made to live in. Uh, this is in Tibet, of course. The um, the Tibetans in exile oftentimes have family in Tibet or or friends, rel- relatives, whatever um, connections to Tibet. So they're they're suffering as well, especially within the context of their philosophy. Which is that uh, as long as there's one sentient being, whether they be Tibetan or uh, <laughs> or any any tradition, uh, any human on the planet, or any being on the planet that is sentient and self-aware, as long as one is suffering, um, there will be uh, someone here to help them from that suffering. And the suffering is really based on the idea that uh, it's not so much, you know, the, the whatever we define as suffering in life of samsara in, in the context of that teaching. Um, it's a suffering that is based on not having a, a 
full understanding of the truth of who and what uh, we are or, or the universe is. Um, and so there's a very, there's two stratas of, of understanding, the strata of, um, of samsaric existence, which is um, we're all participating in uh, on, on this planet. And then there's the strata of, of a, a spiritual being that is, uh, the, I'm sure you've heard the, the phrase, we're, we're not physical beings looking for a, a spiritual existence, but we are a spiritual existence experiencing a physical uh, right. being. And that the, and that's very much there. There uh, is a glimpse of, or for some, a greater understanding. We they call it enlightenment. We we might call it something else, but um, of what reality truly is, and that most of samsaric experiences are illusionary and uh, designed to to keep us in in the fog of of unknowing, and that's what the suffering is about. Um, so the, my experiences in that part of the world is very centering for me personally. There are very few places I feel like I'm actually at home and not asleep in in a, a null space. Um, and Tibet, the Tibetan plateau, although it's a very difficult place for humans to live in, uh, especially if you're, you haven't been born there, um, it it felt like home to me, the, one of the few places in the world. So, you, you know, it's from the, the, the experiences are, are wide ranged and uh, all um, spiritually charged or in charge to, I find that for me personally, they're, they're charged with that element of awakening. Um, and um, if I spend too much time in the Western world, I get kind of caught up in in the minutia of life uh, here. You know, the the politics of life, the, or the politics of of this country, the um, injustices, the uh, atrocities done to other human beings, and then and I start to get caught up in that to a degree that I that I fall more and more into the illusionary state of of what is true. So, um, so how do the rest of us who, who live here, you know, and, and have to be in this um, location in the world, h- how do we keep ourselves from getting immersed into that as well? Yeah, you know, that's a very good question. And I, th- and I think in, philosophically and certainly within the Buddhist context that the dirt in your backyard is, Essentially, the same as the dirt in um, Mount Everest, or or um, in a sacred uh, self-emanating cave in the Himalayas. Um, it's um, it's the same as the dirt on on the moon and on Jupiter, maybe not Jupiter, <laughs> on Mars. Um, the or in Alpha Centauri, the, the, it's, we're made up of all the same stuff. Now, what brings, I believe that there are sacred, sacred spiritually charged places all over the planet, both naturally occurring and, and uh, 
occurring and have manifest because people have believed that to be a sacred place and have said prayers there over millennia and consequently then it is a sacred place um but i think you know there's a teaching that some that a nirvana which is a place of of uh, deep compassion and wisdom and uh, and understanding um is is here now that it's in you know it's in this room that i live in it's in illinois it's in your your home um and uh, anything other than that is is a, a delusionary thought so it's a matter we have power we have a tremendous power to change our perspective and um that and I'm, I'm sure we've all experienced those that seem to be nagging at us or or somehow affecting our well-being um given given a different viewpoint or a, a greater understanding or a little bit of time turns out to be oh the greatest gift that we that we received in some time so that's uh that's what uh meditation different practices have uh made available to to me uh and makes available to all of us that we have this great power to change our perspective and understand that we are creating our own um our own destiny if you will or our our moment to moment existence is from happiness to suffering if that's the two choices that we have at any given moment that we can choose happiness every time despite whatever's going on in our body or outside of our our our, our body and in the environment we live in um so that's so you don't have to go to tibet uh you know you don't i don't have to go to that except i find it i'm i find it as a, a place to re reconnect and to remind myself um that i don't think that's for everybody i i just think that that's part of who i am um and it's and i i not even i can't even say that that is a a requirement of who i am i just know that that is part of uh my sanctuary my it reminds me once again that i'm the author of my own life um so i think what people you know whatever whatever path one takes to engage in it in a mindful way um uh, to be don't just pay lip service to it but to actual study and and manifestations in the sense that you draw it into your being and make it part of you um to to practice um being of service to others that's a, a major i think a very major aspect of it um to uh, to find compassion for yourself to love yourself right the dalai lama in his book uh, concerning happiness um was said to have cried when he was told that uh, people in the west uh suffer many people in the west suffer from uh, self-loathing um that's really wasn't part of his understanding that we don't that we that people there are large groups of people in the world that hate who they are or are unhappy 
because of some some perceived failings in their lives. Um, so the capacity for self-love can be practiced. Uh, and of course, once once you've achieved some level of that, that radiates out to others around you in a very sincere and honest way. Um, You'd go to a gong bath, <laughs> you'd go to a sacred sound healing, uh, you know, go to whatever practice you find to be personally beneficial for you to um, engage your own uh, capacity for, for goodness. Definitely. Yeah. Everything that you just said, it resonates so much. So while we're on this, I'm wondering firsthand from somebody who's been there to Tibet, um, the Tibetan Buddhist culture, what do you believe from your experience our existence here is really all about? Mm. Well, um, there are models of our existence in the Tibetan teaching. There's something called the Wheel of Law, the Wheel of Time. That shows that there's essentially six levels of, of um, phenomenal experience within the scope of time space. Um, they are uh, the idea of um, hell beings, people who, and, and I think if we think of these as metaphoric um, existences, although the, the teachings talk about them as being real, but I think metaphorically uh, there are people who are living in what in hell essentially what they perceived uh, perceive as a level of suffering that is hell-like um that the that there are people another level is so-called hungry ghosts those are um, sort of vampire energy vampires people who feed off of other people um, with having no contribution uh, to the whole in of their own, but you know parasitical experiences. Their level of confusion is that high. Uh, then there's the the world of animals and and um, insects and the like who have a more diffused understanding or diffused relationship with with um, uh, with life itself. Um, there's a lot to be said for that. There's a, a wonderful sanctuary aspect of, of oftentimes there's, you know, just they're motivated purely by, um, uh, by instinct and there's no judgment one way or another. A mosquito that, you know, bites you or feeds off of your blood is doing it to feed her, her babies. And it's, is nothing vindictive. Your blood is the same as anyone else's blood. They're not targeting you. There's nothing personal about it. It's also instinctual. Um, so there's, and, and then on the other hand, there's, uh, you know, things like uh, animals such as dogs who express unconditional love. There's so much that we can learn from them. Um, their, their love is really unconditional. There's forgiveness is not even a part of their spectrum of, of thought because it's not necessary. It's unconditional. So there's that level of, of, uh, of experience. And then there's human beings um, who are, uh, we live long enough um, and, and yet we are all mortal. So we have that aspect of, of, of death um, out there. 
or an ending of this conscious path. Uh, so that's, that brings us to a more sort of critical point where we need to, where we feel at some point, I think, uh, awakened to the idea where we need to learn more about who and what we are and uh, so that at the moment of death we're not confused and end up reincarnating doing in a sort of a trapped state of of uh, of existence um we have more conscious say about our reincarnation for instance then there's um, um the demigods which are Gods that that they're beings that are living uh, in sort of a, a utopian sort of experience, but still are are being ravaged by uh, ego, and um, consequently there's an anger level there, uh, maybe the you know a jealousy level, all those things. Uh, and then there's gods themselves that are that are um, living in a, a utopia, but in this. But that's still all within time space. And that is to say that there is a beginning and there was a middle and there was an end. And then there's a reincarnation. Um, and that the um, and then, and concepts such as karma um, come into play within that field of understanding. Where the Buddha realized that um, at some point in his life in chose to find um, an exit plan for all of us. Um, when he came into existence, the architecture of our existence was clearly um, life, uh, birth, life, and death, and rebirth, and life, and death, and rebirth, and life, and death over billions and billions of, of reincarnations mm. without uh, an exit door, if you will, without some a choice of something else, even even for the gods. So they, um, so he he tried to find a, a way out of that illusionary state, and that's what the teachings are all about. Um, and it's it's um, we call it enlightenment, and I, I'm convinced that there are levels of enlightenment, uh, levels of accomplishment. But that there is uh, there is something other than uh, this entrapment within incarnations. So that's um, that's the basic the basic uh, teachings. But I, as I say, if you imagine them as states of being, I know that uh, when I taught um, more philosophical base uh, as concepts of sacred sound. I would take students out to a commonplace, a, uh, a park or, a, you know, and we would just sit and watch people. And you can, anyone can do this at any place, really. And uh, you can see people who are in the, in deeply within states of suffering who have created a, a hell for themselves to exist in. Uh, you can see the people who are, who are living um, you know, in a hungry ghost state or, or in a more instinctual space or other human beings that are just muddling along or, or even the demigods and gods. They're, they're, it's all a state of, of consciousness that we're, that we're um, subject to. And so um, there are ways of, uh, there are systems that help us awaken to the greater possibilities. 
I have chosen sacred sound. And I can tell you a little teaching story about that. There was um, a, a monk that um, that was um, very accomplished. And with apparently when you reach a, a level of enlightenment within the physical state, uh, there are um, gifts, psychic gifts that are available to you. They end up being something of um, a, a pitfall or a trap entrapment because uh, your ego can attach to something that you can do phenomenally that no one else can do. You can levitate, you can be in bilocate, you can be in two places at both in, in multiple times, you can travel through time, you know, whatever, whatever the psychic ability happens to be, you can end up thinking of yourself as being, um, you know, really something other than a being that is on the path towards ultimate enlightenment and then get trapped in that state. But he, he, he had developed a psychic awareness and he would go home to his mother, every mother's village every year, who was a good person, but she was very involved in, in the phenomenons of life. And, um, and really never really beyond got beyond the, that state of physical being. She, she lived a very good life and she was very um, contributory to others, but she was not, she couldn't overcome some of her karmic traces, um, either by awareness or, or by uh, actions. So when she died, she, um, she descended into one of the levels of hell. So when he came home and found his mother was dead, and he could psychically become aware of where her conscious was in what is called the Bardo stage between lifetimes, and uh, and he consciously descended into hell to find his mother, and so he did. Uh, he found his mother, and she didn't recognize him. But they had a practice when he would come home. When she was alive, to um, to um, to sing or to chant a very particular mantra. The mantras are syllables that are that are sacred in um, in their utterance, in the way the the mind reacts to the shapes of the sound. Much it's a sacred sound technique, essentially. And this mantra is the mantra of the All Compassionate Buddha. We all know it. I think pretty well. It's Om Mati Padme Home. So he started chanting to her in in hell. Om Mati Padme Om, Om Mati Padme Om, Om Mati Padme Om. And finally she became aware of a memory from her her life, past life at that point, uh, of him and the love that they shared and the uh, and the ultimate compassionate state of that mantra um, and the wisdom behind it. So she descended from that state of hell directly into an enlightened state of being uh, through the use of sacred sound and his his love for her, of course, and, and for all human beings. But even beyond that, which I think is very telling in this story, is that uh, the people around her in hell that heard that mantra from him and had no connection to him at, at all, but but could hear the wisdom of the mantra, also ascended into a 
uh, in an enlightened state. So sacred sound is a very powerful tool. There are other tools, of course, but I, everything in the universe is vibrating, and within a vibration, uh, with, there is the potentiality of of sound and the sound quality. Um, if it is in keeping with that, as I said before, that silver thread, that aspect of awareness um, of who and what we are in relationship to the whole, um, then then it becomes a, a tool for healing. I um I absolutely love that story. I wanted to say a couple of things. Um, first, um. I love that story so much because as I've been interviewing different people and talking um, with experts in the field and personally how I came into this myself more was my dad passed away and he came back to me and brought this to me. So um, the story of this man going to find his mom, um, my dad was showing me it correlates with how how he got in touch with me. And I've heard from many other experts that um, it's it happens often when somebody passes away, we come into maybe um, a more enlightened, uh, a higher vibration because they're working with us so inten- intensely from the other side. Um, but I wanted to ask you, when he passed away and I started working with some spiritual teachers. They showed me how to open up my crown chakra, how to get into a very, um, how to really connect my energy to the other side. And it feels when I do it almost like you're living in a different dimension, right? I mean, the, the energy is just so high. It's such a high vibration and um, you feel so much love, so much peace, so much bliss. And I've asked different people what this is, but I'd really love your take on it. What is this vibration that we can get into above our head? I think that's a good tool to to be working with, um, and this this is only my opinion based on my understandings, and it doesn't make it right or wrong. But I I think it's a, a great tool in that you think of it as a, another dimension or a, a higher state of being. But I think at some point you said that that also implies that there's a separation between that vibration and your vibration, uh, that state of peace and tranquility mm-hmm. and love is sort of outside of yourself, something that you go and visit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, it, it eventually occurs in, in that process, the realization that it is rather than outside of you, inside of you. Mm-hmm. And that it's you're you're just putting it outside of you as making it a safe place for you to go. And I think one of the things that we we as beings have the most difficulties with is uh, coming to terms with our our own power, our own um, spiritual nature, our our own ability to be. Um, 
to be a, a Buddha or to be a, a Jesus or to be a Mohammed, to be someone who we see as an accomplished being, they're always someone outside of us and that we go to visit the, the great guru, the great teacher, the great whatever. And I do think that while we're on the path, teachers are necessary, but ultimately, um, you have to leave them behind and, and embrace your own power. I, I can give you another teaching that the, there's something called the Pajapadamita, which is the ultimate teaching in, in Buddhism. There's various schools, but the Pajapadamita tells us that if we, if we imagine ourselves on the shore of, of existence and that there's a river, a roaring river between us and the, the opposite shore. And the opposite shore is um, ultimate enlightenment. So we, we have all created for ourselves a vessel of some sort. Um, and we call that vessel whatever name we call it. We call it Catholicism, we call it Judaism, we call it uh, Islam, we, we call it Buddhism, we call it whatever we call it, but the teachings become a vehicle for us to, to cross over that river of samsara, the river of phenomenal uh, existence of, of, of suffering and joy and love and, and hate and all the opposites and dualisms that are part of our conscious being. And so we're, we're paddling along to, from lifetime to lifetime, trying to make our way across that river. And, and we're using our teachings the, and in our teachers as um, as our paddles, essentially, uh, as our vehicle. So ultimately, um, and I think it is an ultimate and inevitable experience uh, for all of us, we beach our vessel on the opposite shore. And we will, for us, to, the final state for us to exist, to experience enlightenment, we have to leave the vessel behind. We, because that becomes an attachment, a final attachment um, that keeps us from a, a, a full-blown, enlightened, non-dualistic reality. Um, and it's, um, so in some smaller practices, uh, we're doing that all the time. And we have to come to realize our own divinity, if you will, that we are ultimately our our diamond self is is an enlightened being uh in all of the with all the ramifications of that what that means and that means that you're not a buddhist or you're not a catholic or a christian you're not a jew you're not a, you're not you're not a, a practicer of islam or or sufi or whatever name you use for your vehicle you are enlightened, and that does that comes with no labels or or no philosophies actually. Um, I can I can give you something uh, another teaching if you'd like that. Oh, I'd love that. A little complex, but I think it's uh, it's called the Heart Sutra. Sutra is. Um, another firm form of you can think of it as a prayer or a teaching and i condensed that the sutra itself is uh is fairly um long and and, and complex it, it's it describes a meeting between one of the 
scribes of uh, um, uh, one of the scribes of, of Buddha and the uh, and a bodhisattva or a being that is has one foot in enlightenment and one foot uh, in phenomenon, uh, like an archangel or something that is there to help us reach enlightenment. Uh, anyway, there the Heart Sutra. Uh, Wait, I got to go back real quick. Are there angels in Buddhism? There are bodhisattvas, which are beings that could be akin to the idea of angels. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, I love that. But, I didn't realize that. Yeah, they are. They and that they they have taken that the bodhisattva vow, which anyone can take, although you want to be sure that you're you're prepared for it, is that you will not step into a full-blown, enlightened, non-dualistic experience uh, or be state of being as long as there's one suffering vessel or suffering individual in the universe. So if there is someone out there suffering, if there's someone out there in confusion that is trapped in samsara, your your vow is to be there to help them um, break their bonds bonds from that level of suffering. Now, is that the the vow of all souls, or is that just specific souls that are taking that vow? Oh. All souls. The Bodhisattva yeah. vow is. The Bodhisattva vow is a uh, is for all beings. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't discriminate in any way. All beings are are equal in in the minds of of the Buddha. So it's it's available. It, it it is for all of us. So we might refer to them by different names based on whatever tradition we're following or or have been exposed to. But in there's. For, there's equivalents, uh, like the Mandrusri Buddha is a bodhisattva that uh, that his wisdom, his teachings are ultimate wisdom, and he carries tools for ultimate wisdom that are, he engages within our psyche to help us reach his state of understanding. Um, so that's in you know, that there might be there. I, I'm not totally familiar with with uh, the Christian philosophy, but I, I know that there are angels that are, uh, I think Raphael, for instance, is, is very involved in physical healing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are Bodhisattvas that are very involved in physical healing. So Wonderful. Oh, I Watch love that correlation. Oh, sorry for getting you sidetracked. I know you wanted to show us something else. Well, I, you know, I'm trying to find it right now. Um, Well, and while you're talking about that, I want to let people know, where can they find you online? Uh, There's a couple places. And the Heart Sutra, actually, if you go to YouTube and put my name, which is Richard Rudis, of course, or my Tibetan name, which is Sonam Dorje, uh, then you will find a number of videos, uh, teaching videos and teachings that uh, various teachings, the Buddhist teachings that I have recorded. uh, including the Heart Sutra, the um, you could go to BuddhistArtifacts.com, which is dedicated to the Buddhist artifacts 
that I that I sell for my teachers online, as well as various teachings that are um, um, you know that are available to all of us. Essentially, just uh, highlighted, and the um, and the tour uh, package or the tours that I'm on, where you might be able to experience the uh, the long math if you wish. Also, there's a um, another another. Yeah, I'm looking sacred at. Sound. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Sacredsoundgongbath.com. Um, right. So that has the entire tour schedule I'm looking at right now. And uh, I am going to be at, he, Richard, you're coming to Chicago pretty soon. And I'm going to be at um, the Wheaton, your Wheaton concert at the Theosophical uh-huh. Society. If anybody wants to come with me, definitely let me know. But uh, I'm looking at the website and that's on April 19th from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. at the Theosophical Society in Wheaton. Mm -hmm. And you can get those tickets right on your website, um, or can they get those through the Theosophical Society? Yeah, the the way the tour works in Chicago is the sponsors themselves um, um, take care of the ticketing and, and the money and all of that stuff. So... It's all it, you'd have to go to them. That there's there should be a link in each one of the um, yeah. of the descriptions okay. for you to go. Yeah. Perfect. So get your tickets because Richard's concerts they always sell out, and you're going to make sure that you want to get your ticket before they do sell out. Well, Richard, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing all of your knowledge and wisdom with us. I I can't tell you how much I appreciate you um, sharing this space with us today. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I so hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. Before you go, here are a couple of freebies for you. If you write a review, um, and don't forget while you're on iTunes, please rate me five stars. You know, the more five-star ratings you have, Actually, the algorithms bump you up higher so that more people are seeing your podcast and are able to hear it. So please don't forget to leave a five-star rating. But if you also leave a review and it doesn't have to be long, it can just be like a short one sentence thing. If you write a review, a positive review and put your name in there so that I know who you are, I will enter you into a drawing to win a free session. Now, you're not just entered once, you're entered every month until you win. So if you just write one sentence, leave your name, I will put you into that drawing. That drawing is also available multiple times. So if you also take copy and paste that review, put it on my Facebook page. If you put it on Google, my company is Chicago Energy Healing, then I will enter you in three times if you leave it all three places. Again, that just has to be a positive review. Doesn't matter how long it is. But don't forget while you're there to rate the podcast five stars if you're on the Apple Podcast app. Also, I pray for all of you every day. I pray for all of my subscribers. I literally, when you subscribe on my website, 
I take that paper, I put it into a jar, and I make sure that I pray for everyone every morning. So if you know somebody who needs prayers, tell them to subscribe on the website. If you need prayers, definitely subscribe on my website. But um, yeah, all my subscribers, all my listeners, everybody, I pray for you every morning, but I actually physically take your um, name or your email address when you subscribe on the website. I cut that and I put it as a little piece of paper into my prayer jar. So uh, definitely subscribe on my website. That's www.jancis, J-A-N-C-I-U-S as in Sam, dot com. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today, everybody. Much love, light, and happiness to you all. Disclaimer. This podcast provides general information and discussion about energy healing, spiritual topics, and related subjects. The conversations and other content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials are not intended and should not be construed as medical, psychological, and or professional advice. If the listener or any other person has a medical concern, he or she should consult with an appropriately licensed physician or other healthcare professional. Never make any medical or health-related decision based in whole or even in part on anything contained in the Angels and Awakening podcast or in any of our linked materials. You should not rely on any information contained in this podcast and related materials in making medical, health-related, or other decisions. You should consult a licensed physician or appropriately credentialed healthcare worker in your community in all matters relating to your health. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. Again, angel messages, energy healing, and the information you receive here does not constitute legal, psychological, medical, business, relationship, or financial advice. Do not take any of the advice given in any Angels and Awakening podcasts or sessions in lieu of medical, psychological, legal, financial, or general professional advice. Please note, Angels and Awakening is a podcast produced by Chicago Energy Healing, a company with locations in Wheaton and Naperville, Illinois.